we all view the world through paradigms. Paradigms. You know, we, we see with our eyes, and we have lenses in our eyes that are able to take all the light that's coming in and actually turn it into something where we can focus on the things we want to look at. And paradigms are what our brain uses to do the same thing. It's a lens that allows us to make sense of a complex world. We view everything that happens, the stuff that happens in the news, when we meet a new person in real life, we read it all through paradigms. Let's turn over to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. We have paradigms for life as well. Some people see life as a journey, basically. You're on a road, down a path. It's an expedition. It's discovery. Some people see life as a battle, and they view just about everything through the lens of, well, who's out, who out there is going to help me? Who out there is trying to work against me in one way or another? Other people see life as a competition for scarce resources, and still others see it as kind of a festival, a place of abundant resources where we're all working together and there's uh, enough to go around. Paradigms determine what you see and what you don't see. We even read the Bible through them. And so it's, inver- it's very important for us to be aware of our own paradigms and to update them when necessary so that we see what we're supposed to see and don't see things that aren't there everywhere we look. Psalm 1 stands at the head of not just the, not just the five books of Psalms, but the entire section of the Bible known as the writings, the third section of the Old Testament. And there's a consensus among those who study the organization of the Psalms that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 have been moved up to the beginning of the order to act as a kind of two-part introduction to the Psalter and what it's doing. And part of the purpose of that is to give you some paradigms, some paradigms for understanding how this whole thing's going to work, how to read scripture well. So Psalm 1, from the New International Version, goes like this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So this goes This happens through several portions. The first portion of it here has this beginning, this walk, stand, sit progression. And the net notes, the NET notes in the Bible says this about it. The sequence walk, stand, sit envisions a progression from a relatively casual kind of association with the the way of sinners, the way of scoffers. Eventually you end up where you're, you're sitting among the scoffers. It's not necessarily something you intend to do. could be, but very often it's just one step after another. First you're walking, then you're standing, and suddenly you're sitting among them. And then biblical poetry is so interesting, and it's, it's, it's so beautiful, because very often it'll take things that are almost the same but not quite the same and compare them, or two things that are almost opposites but not quite opposites and compare them and contrast them. And that forces you to get more... Uh, critical in your thought and creative in your thought to see what's being expressed there. And that's the case here where we have that whole thing playing out. Blessed is the one who's not on this path. It's going to lead to sitting with the scoffers. What's the opposite of that look like? Well, it's sitting with God's word, 
It's meditating on his word day and night. That is the total opposite. It's going to take you in a different direction. And then we move into this tree metaphor with it. The second section introduces this tree by the river. And this has deep links across the rest of the Bible. It's no coincidence that Genesis opens with a grove of trees at the headwaters of four rivers. And Revelation 22, at the very end of the book, ends with the trees by the river once again. In fact, in Revelation 22, it's actually quoting a passage from the Old Testament prophets from Ezekiel 47, which I'll just read to you, Ezekiel 47, 12. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because, because their, their water flows from the sanctuary. That's why. Their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. So in Psalm 1, when we're looking at this tree by the river, we have to understand that the, that flowing stream is a really, really important part of this picture. The righteous person's righteousness does not come from within himself. This tree is not growing itself. The reason that it's able to stand, the reason it's able to provide shade, the reason it's able to provide strength and fruit for those who come and find it is because of what's happening underground where people can't see. It's it's what's feeding the roots that grow that tree, that all of that's possible. It's the thing that's happening under the surface that makes all the difference in the world. What's visible can stand firm because of what's invisible. I think we can all think of people that we've, we've seen in this congregation and throughout our lives who were like this in difficult times, who uh, you, you knew that you could rely on and you knew it was because of the faith that they had shown, that visible faith that you were seeing, which was the substance, which was the evidence of their invisible source in their lives, the, the living water that was flowing into their roots. However, not so the wicked, Psalm 1 says, not so the wicked. The chaff is the opposite. Without being rooted, you don't have those roots. We're going to be blown about every day by other people's chaos, other people's chaos. Whatever things we've allowed to just take up space rent-free in our heads that day is what's going to uh, control us, whether it's something that we're like that we're drawn to or something that we're trying to oppose and be the opposite of. That's what's going to be driving what happens. And uh, I love this thing that Mr. McLean said once in a sermonette, no roots, no fruit. And that's about the simplest way you could say that, I think. And then Psalm 1 leads into its conclusion, still following these through lines. This is what determines what can stand or what can fall, just like what determines what a tree can stand or fall. It says that the wicked will not be able to stand in the day of judgment. By contrast, the righteous can. They're fed. They have the roots. They're able to stand in the day of judgment because God watches over their way. Let's turn over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Psalm 1 1 works together with Psalm 2 to form this this double introduction to the Psalms to give you paradigms for understanding life. And they're ultimately about the same thing. I'll leave you to read Psalm 2 another day. It's it's very different, but when you kind of stand back and look at them, you start seeing how they how they play together. Psalm one is the, the micro view and Psalm two is the macro view of how this all plays out in history. Someone's kinda of like picking up that maple leaf and saying it, hey, this kind of looks like a tree. And then Psalm two is backing out and seeing how God's making the whole thing uh, play out across history with what he's doing and what Jesus Christ will do when he returns. In Ephesians four, Paul 
is making this argument. He's leading up to it, and he's already explained, he's already talked about being rooted and grounded in love. And you see this Psalm 1 paradigm, this this core paradigm behind his thinking when he comes up to this crescendo in verse 14, where he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and and carried about with every wind of doctrine. What's that sound like? Sounds like the chaff, the wind blows away. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, is the opposite, may grow up, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth, uh, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's that core Psalm 1 paradigm at work there. The difference between the one that is blown away by the wind versus the one that is rooted and grows up into Christ. No root, no fruit. That's Psalm 1 thinking. In times of social and political and economic uh, unrest, we're coming into an election year in the U.S. This is, this is maybe this is my stump speech, I guess. <laughs> this, is, this is what I've got to say about 2024, I suppose. Uh, in times like these, it's, it's good to check our paradigms and ask ourselves, how, how do we really think the world works? How do we really think the world works? How much time am I spending on the internet trying to figure out what's really going on, or trying to figure out who's right, who do I ally myself with? Do I start to give a quarter to scornful voices? Am I starting to go ahead and continue to give attention to somebody who's already shared something that turned out not to be true as they you know, continue to make accusations about this person or that person or this group of people? Do I, do I keep listening to those voices even if they've proved themselves false in the past? At a time when politics has become religion and politics in our country has become a religion, you're not going to find water for your roots among influencers or on the talk show circuit or anywhere like that. So times of uncertainty are, they're, they're like this drought that just rolls across the land, and it withers trees with shallow roots. So in times like that, people are looking for answers as well, and they seek shade, and they seek fruit in those times, and maybe they'll find it in the example of those who are being fed by the source that can't be seen, God's spirit and truth. 